Hello, and welcome to another episode of our Founder Spotlight series, where we dig into the ideas, frameworks, and strategies of the world's best entrepreneurs. I'm Daniel Scrivener, and on the show today, I'm joined by Alex Simon, who is the co-founder and CEO of Elude, which is focused on helping people find and book incredible travel experiences. It's the only place where you can simply input your max budget, your local airport, and how many days you'd like to be gone to find incredible destinations around the world that fit those parameters. So you can ask the question, where can I go next week for $1,000? This episode is a fascinating deep dive into the world of travel, from the unique barriers to building an airline and hotel booking business, which include a surprising amount of regulation, to an overview of the major players in the travel space, and a look at what it's like to build a cutting-edge company in a very old industry. In our conversation, we go deep on why travel is considered a startup graveyard and how Elude overcame all of those obstacles to build a big and completely new company in the space how they brought deep experience building Google search to build their own unique search experience for travel. We talked through all of the regulation in the travel space, why they exist and how they impact companies in the space. We discussed why Elude wanted to become a merchant of record, owning the customer and transaction from end to end, rather than follow the typical playbook of simply building a search UI and then linking literally most times with affiliate links to airline and hotel websites. And we discuss all of the lessons that Alex and his team have learned building Elude over the last few years and reaching more than 500,000 searches to date. This is an incredible interview and a fascinating look at what it takes to build a travel startup within a highly competitive and regulated space. I learned a ton and I know you will too. You can find our episode guide and the full text transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 106. That's 106. And you can learn more about Elude at elude.co or by downloading the Elude app from the App Store. With that, here's my conversation with Elude's co-founder and CEO, Alex Simon. Alex, welcome to Outlier Academy. I am so excited to have you on to talk about Elude. So thank you so much for the time. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to jump in. So I am thrilled to have you on because what you're building is very different from the industry that you're in. And I'll try to quickly describe what it is. You know, Elude is an app that anyone can download where they can input their max budget and basically the airport that they want to leave from and just generally how long they want to be gone. And in return, they get a bunch of destinations and destinations, including a lot of things I'm sure that they wouldn't find if they went through the traditional experience, which is really trying to think of where you want to go of the places that you know about and then kind of working back. And so I love it because it's this really wonderful inversion of how most people think about travel. Can you start by talking a little about the origin story of Elude and how you landed on that particular approach? So my background before starting Elude was over in investment banking. So I was over actually on Wall Street for about five or six years, bouncing between Morgan Stanley and Deutsche Bank. And I would kind of call myself just like a traditional worker in in any case, right? Like I enjoyed, you know, my corporate world. Um, But anytime that I had off or a three-day weekend or an upcoming holiday, I would always be looking for ways to get outside of New York, right? And so it didn't matter to me the destination. Um, It really didn't even you know, uh, kind of amount to me of like where I could afford to get to. It was just more so about seeing different cultures, seeing different places and basically getting out. And so in kind of the very early stages of Elude, what we basically did between myself and my co-founder was we said, look, we don't care the destination that we're going to, right? It didn't matter if it was Paris, London, Rome. Uh, We just wanted to go and explore. And so kind of 
I would say like thinking about destinations more from the budget point of view rather than uh, how a lot of people tend to think about travel, which is just destinations by themselves. And so in the very early stages, when we were building out kind of the, the proof of concept or, you know, if you will, kind of like the MVP of Allude, we really kind of thought about it and said, how would we as travelers like to look at destinations if we were to just put in our budget, right? Let's say we have a thousand dollars and next weekend, wow, okay, now seeing destinations that we couldn't afford, you know, or didn't even think that we could afford um, and have this kind of discovery angle to new destinations. And that's exactly what you were getting at in terms of uh, kind of the origin story for us. Yeah. So it's fascinating. So it's basically a kind of obsession with just exposing people to new destinations. It almost sounds like at its core. Yeah, there's kind of two angles. Um, first is uh, the actual time itself. Itself. So if if you think about it, right, if you were to try to back yourself into flight plus hotel for a handful of cities, you're talking about hours upon hours to try to find out exactly where you could afford to get to. Again, like just Paris, for example, you can you can go down a rabbit hole of like spending hours literally finding flights and hotels to kind of match that budget. Whereas not only is it the time component, but it's more so the, the discovery, right? So instead of just, let's say, finding the, the next trip to Miami that you've been to or San Francisco, where you've been to 15, 20 times, you know, find different destinations that um, are completely out, out of the kind of the traditional scope and go to those locations instead. Yeah, that's so cool. At the start of this episode, I tried to explain at a high level what you're building, uh, which is essentially a search-oriented experience for finding incredible destinations. Can you just, from the perspective of a customer, kind of walk through what it's like to, you know, do the search, book your travel? And I I think what's interesting, and we'll get into this a little bit later in the episode, but one of the things that I think is fascinating about Allude is you guys kind of own the entire experience. So it's not just the searching experience, it's all the way through the trip itself. So just walk us through that kind of customer experience customer journey. Yeah. And I'll probably talk about this throughout the podcast as well, but there's kind of three main areas that we like to focus on when it comes to the experience for the traveler. The first is our onboarding, which I'll I'll go a little bit more into the details. The second, which is the actual search. And then the third, which is the actual booking. So let's start off with, with more or less just the onboarding. We ask anywhere between 10 to 15 questions uh, to better know the user about how they like to travel. So these questions, they're, they're all over the place. It's like, do you like Wi-Fi? Do you like beaches? You know, what kind of foods do you like? And basically what we start to do with that information is we start to curate the actual city destinations that we start to showcase to the user. Um, so my, my best example here is if you hate long flights and you hate beaches, showcasing a Thailand is not going to be really relevant to you, right? No. <laughs> um, and so exactly. And so we, we really want to kind of create that curated experience, especially because everybody travels for completely different reasons, right? One person goes for a bachelor party. The other person is just trying to get you know, a weekend away from the kids, those type of situations. Then we've kind of dealt with the middle, right? Which is the, the main search for us. And I'll just kind of walk you through from a user standpoint, what actually happens. So you kind of touched on this earlier with you know the first kind of overview of Allude, but basically somebody comes on, they tell us how much money they're willing to spend. So their, their max budget. And then the, the local airport that they're flying out of is flying out of is auto-populated to you know your your local airport. So in, in my particular case, LAX. And then you select the dates that you're able to start to travel. So let's say it's next weekend or a few months from now. Um, Once the user actually selects search, what ends up happening is we actually piece together the flight plus the hotel for 
largely almost like 15 to 20 plus different destinations. And the user actually sees those destinations and are able to jump in kind of in quick views, both on the flight as well as the hotel. So everything is customizable, but we actually hand select and hand curate both the flights and the hotels per destination. So let's say, for example, um, that $1,000 the next weekend, you say London, Rome, and let's say Tokyo. Um, The user is able to actually go directly into each one of these destinations and kind of hand select or change if they want to. So for instance, if somebody needs to leave at 7 p.m. versus 7 a.m., it gives a lot of flexibility and you're not kind of beholden to the actual search that we we put together for you. And then we kind of get to the, the last piece, which is really where I'd say, Um, everything comes together kind of really nicely. So I hate to compare ourselves to the other travel sites, but if you think about like a kayak, for example, they're very much focused on just getting somebody to search. And then the second that they're about to book, they actually get pushed off to a third party to transact. We never wanted that feeling to happen. Um, And I'm sure you've dealt with this as well. But, you know, when you're, uh, let's say, about to purchase a flight and you click book now, it kind of pushes you someplace else. And then it's like $300 more, right? In the matter of a second. And you're, and as a user, you're kind of sitting there like, what the heck just happened? And so in our particular case, we actually own the transaction and own the booking. Um, so what you see in the search is actually what you're going to be getting directly in the booking it's, itself. And we ticket you as well as um, kind of handle all of the reservation systems, both on the front end and on the back end. So again, we can talk through a lot of like the regulatory hurdles that we had to get through in order to get there. But um, by and large, you know, we're, we're everything from the search to the actual booking. Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm going to try to recap that just to make sure I've got it right. And then you can maybe push back on that. So it sounds like, yeah, I guess maybe to state it, search is itself, if you were to just do search without any preferences up front, is almost too wide open. And so first you're asking people kind of general high level questions that help you narrow down the list of search results. Then when someone searches, it sounds like you're doing, you know, this principle and design called progressive disclosure, which basically just just means don't overwhelm people with every detail at once. (laughs) So it sounds like after the search, then they can go in, the search is pretty tight, but they can then adjust small little details of that. And then they never leave the site. They never leave a lewd or they never leave the app, I guess in this case. And so they book and then they're going back to the app, I'm guessing when the trip happens. Can you maybe just walk us through, you know, you talked about booking. What does it then look like? Let's say my trip's a month ahead of time. What does it look like as I start to then get ready to go on my trip? Great question. So we're a little bit different than a traditional travel agent which uh, or travel service right now, which basically as soon as you get your, it's called in the travel world, PNR code, which is like that, you know, six digit code, like XW, you know, four, five J, whatever, something like that, that you check into the, to the airline or hotel. We don't just provide that. We actually are able to kind of be along the journey with you. So we send across handful of emails prior to your departure time, um, a little bit more of like the details of what you should be checking out kind of prior to your trip, whether that's, you know, boots on the ground activities or experiences, things like that. We haven't really dabbled yet into um, actually being able to purchase experiences, but we do want to be kind of a trusted source directly to our customer base, as well as our community around top destinations to check out and things to do in those, in those set locations. So we are kind of like handholding the user along their, their process, but but you're, you're hitting exactly on that. It's it's a little bit unique and kind of different than the traditional travel search. Yeah. And you have this wonderful little, you know, kind of design detail in the app where you actually get, what is it, like stamps or stickers for the yes. destination that you went. It's almost like a little passport within a lewd. 
Yeah, so uh, we have we basically came up with this fun kind of quirky gamification, so to speak, where um, it allows users to come back both for discounts as well as rewards, right? So, for instance, I'll give you one. Um, if you book like a middle seat uh, at, for in the airline, you get like a middle seat survivor, you know, passport stamp. Um, and, you know, in that case, it encourages you to come back, but also it's, you know, 10, 15% off of your next trip as well. And really just encourages this gamify, uh, gamified way of looking at travel differently. Um, and if you think about it, most uh, airlines and hotels, they don't have great reward systems. Um, and in our particular case, we are trying to be kind of that newer age, getting people excited again to, to travel. Yeah. Well, they don't, yeah, they don't have rewards, but I think another thing too, is they, so much of my experience with traveling is I just have so many memories. And so there's this aspect of travel where you want to go back and relive and kind of remember these past trips you've been on. And so it sounds like a wonderful way to do that. And I love that label middle seat survival because, or survivor, because that's definitely what it feels like most of the time when you actually get to your destination. (laughs) And one thing just to, just to note on that as well, I think a lot of people specifically our customers and travelers and and community, um, there's not, there's this kind of like unsaid thing when it comes to loyalty. Um, And many people don't have loyalty to an airline, to a place that they book or even hotels, right? They're looking for kind of the best bang for their buck. And and I think in our particular case, maximizing somebody's budget and really kind of showcasing and displaying city options based off of that really encourages people to think about travel in a bit of a different way. Um, And to your point, kind of gamifies the system. Yeah. Well, and and what I love about that is they can build loyalty and trust and elude, but they can still go to different destinations and different hotels. And so it's almost, it sounds very similar to like the Airbnb model for accommodation. You know, you're trying to own that space for all of travel generally. Spot on. And I think the best uh, way that I could relate that for us is that we want to own kind of the spontaneous travel lane, right? Most of the most of the time when people are booking or searching trips, they either know where they're going specifically, or they need to kind of plan around different dates and different destinations. Whereas for us, we kind of want you to come in and really discover kind of where you could afford to get to first and have that like general awareness of like, you know, what, what's out there? What, what can my, you know, what can my dollar basically get me in the travel market? Yeah. One of the, you know, core foundational aspects of what you're building is search. And, you know, one of your co-founders luckily worked on the product team on Google search. And and I want to just dive into that aspect for a minute because, you know, search is, I think everyone knows what search is and it's wonderful because obviously as uh, someone who's using search, it feels incredibly simple. You're just giving a couple of answers and you're getting all these results back. But what's happening behind the scenes is often really, really, really complex, especially in your case where you've got, you have, you're trying to match times and against hotels and flights and different options and different times. Talk a little bit about what searching for travel unlocks in the sense of what you're doing at Elude and how hard it was to build this kind of search centric destination focused experience from the ground up. So great question. Um, and I think Avon, our CTO, could handle this a lot more kind of eloquently, but I'll, I'll give it my, my best. Um, so you're spot on. What we're doing actually from a search capability is very unique and kind of completely different than almost everything out there on the market. When you're talking about buying, a like, let's say, a specific flight or a specific hotel to a specific destination, it's very easy to tap into you know, data sources like they're called GDSs, global distribution systems, which basically house the flight and the hotel data. But when you basically create this open-ended search, 
there is a lot of complexity that comes into this. Um, and what we're actually doing with the questionnaires and layering in kind of, you know, a, a different set of machine learning, so to speak, or just like a little uh, different set of questionnaire, um, it actually kind of creates a complete different complexity to the what, what the user actually delivers in terms of the results. Now, what, what I think and what I think we've done really well is um, creating this in a very efficient way and design focused to be able to package this up beautifully. So what we're talking about is right now when let's say somebody does this open-ended search flying from LA for a week-long trip, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of different hotel and uh, flight data pieces together, right? In addition to thousands of destinations in and of itself to be able to offer that to the user. What we're doing is we're actually layering in a handful of assumptions, basically, to create the best kind of package for the user. So I'll just kind of run through a few of these uh, these assumptions. One is we don't showcase anything three stars or below in terms of hotels. We never want our users to feel like you know they're in a hostel and most most of the times our users are the younger demographic that are looking to get away for you know a long weekend or an upcoming holiday the second is we optimize based off of flight and so what does that mean we're not going to put you you know just because it's quote unquote cheap we're not going to be putting you to something that has two or three or five layovers right like most of the other travel sites and then the third is actually maximizing based off of destination so we've curated a list of around 150 to 200 destinations, both domestically and international that fit our allude criteria, which again, if some users were kind of checking out the early adoption of our, of our beta, you would see like, you know, Arkansas or places that maybe are not necessarily as sexy. Um, but we've actually hand curated now a city list where every single time somebody goes into the allude app, they're actually dealt with kind of this aha moment of seeing um, destinations that are quite unique and, and a little bit more bespoke to what we want to offer. Um, but that doesn't, that comes at a cost, right? Like for, in our particular case, it's taken a while for us to really develop the algorithm, both on the back end And then most importantly, and I say like, you know, my, my CTO is going to joke around, but like, he's going to say 90% of the work is done on back end. But I would actually argue from an end end consumer, 90% of the work actually comes from the front end in order from the design point of view of like, can this beautifully um, be put in front of a user and have them make a decision based off of what you're showcasing? And if the answer is yes, we're doing a really good job. Yeah. Yeah. No, you did a great job of outlining that. And I feel like that back end versus front end, it really is, you know, one of those, one of the favorite, my favorite concepts in business is this idea that you have to own a super position. I think that's a great example where you can't just be good at front end and terrible at back end. If you displayed data beautifully and had terrible results, no one would want to use it. And so it's this thing where you really have to master two very different, very difficult things. One is dealing with all that informational complexity that you talked about, which sounds just staggering. And then the second is once you've wrangled that into some sort of neat and tidier, smaller list, then you still have to display it in a way that it's easy to scan. It's not overwhelming. It's easy to understand. And you've done a great job at doing that. And that's one of the reasons I love what you've built and just how different the model is. Appreciate it. And I will say, I mean, for for every other founder or entrepreneur out there too, like it is an iterative 
process, right? We're constantly changing this, like we're learning as we're growing. And I think like, you know, my point being of like showcasing destinations at first that weren't necessarily as sexy. These are things that like, you know, from a user standpoint, they're the ones who are telling us saying, hold on, this is great app, but why are you showcasing me destinations that are a little bit outside of kind of my realm of what I would want to go to? And those are great kind of feedback loops to be able to, for us to kind of curate and create a little bit more of a better unique experience. Totally. Yeah. And I think with when the the way I would maybe describe that is like when you have a problem space that's as big as the problem space that you guys are tackling, that is literally the only way to do it. You have to just it's like one step and you're constantly orienting and trying to figure out what to do next. And yeah, it's a very it's a very iterative way of building. I want to talk about, you know, you hinted at this earlier. I want to talk a little bit about regulation, but before we do that, I want to talk about just the travel space because you know, something you and I talked about when we were preparing for this episode is that generally the travel industry is a startup graveyard. You know, it's this place that uh, a lot of founders, very optimistic, you know, very passionate founders go to build and eventually just aren't able to overcome all of the hurdles that it requires to build something in the space. Talk a little bit about why that is and why so many companies have failed, because I think it's particularly interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll start off by actually first mentioning a a lot of uh, startups specifically focus on destinations first and um, kind of back their way back to a, a kind of a glorified view of like very high level discovery. And so what you'll find is a lot of travel startups, um, you know, want to create package trips for, let's say, a Paris or a London, and they want to scale that a little bit you know, unique and, and kind of create experiences based off of that. What we found is the the further you get away from the destination, um, the easier it is to actually build and scale a, a notable business in the travel space. And so for us specifically, we're focused only on the discovery, right? Um, yes, eventually, and, and as we continue to scale, like the booking becomes a clear indicator of like what's do what's working well. But searches and getting people excited about kind of this discovery tool is where we want it to live. Um, and then the second, I'd say, you know, and I, I can get a little bit more into the specifics of it, but um, when when you're talking about travel brands, I mean, you're talking, these these companies are, are literally spending hundreds of millions of dollars per year just on marketing, let alone their customer service, let alone, you know, kind of the, the way that they've uh, scaled. There's only a handful of them. And so what you kind of find in the travel space is that once you start doing something a bit unique and a bit different, it kind of gets the, the ears perked up for a lot of these other larger players to say, hold on, well, what are you doing? Either, you know, they're going to come out and kind of acquire you or um, kind of find ways to partner and, and kind of scale your business with them, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all kind of using, and I say we're all, but, you know, as a travel brand, we're all kind of using very similar data, um, right? The, the flight and the hotel are basically commoditized at this particular point. It's just a way to be able to present it in a more unique and kind of beautiful way, which is what I was describing beforehand. Um, and I think the last piece is more on the funds, right? I think a lot of travel startups have a unique value proposition, which is which is always great. Um, but when you start to actually dabble into purchasing, um, you know, the data itself, it becomes very cost heavy. Um, and again, for a lot of travel startups, they can't, you know, they can't stomach a 10, 15, 20, in some cases, $200,000, you know, bill um, to just get access to that data. Um, and so they end up kind of creating like a smaller bespoke solution that that doesn't necessarily scale quite well. 
Sure. So it sounds like almost in, in that last example you gave, it can be so cost prohibitive that companies never even get, you know, a functioning product that they can actually then scale and it's not sticky enough. And yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting point is, you know, for any startup to scale, you first need to succeed at a small enough size to then be able to grow that. And yeah, to your point, if you can't overcome some of those hurdles, you never get that initial stickiness. That's exactly, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. One of the aspects of the high failure rate as well, too, is just, you know, and you talked about it, that there are uh, very few large players. And, you know, I was surprised to learn some of these names. I haven't done a lot of research into the travel space. But, you know, you when we were talking before, you talked about companies like Sabre, Amadeus, Travel Corp. Talk about some of these behemoths and what they do and kind of the position that they occupy in the industry. So let me actually kind of segregate segregate this a little bit just so that for all of the listeners, it's a little bit easier to understand. So there's basically three main travel suppliers when we're talking about the data itself for flight and hotel. That's Sabre, Amadeus, and Travelport, which is what you mentioned. Then the other three actually are the three behemoths that most people are aware of that own most of the travel brands that we're comfortable with. Number one is uh, Priceline. Um, number two is Expedia. And then the third is C-Trip, which is basically the Asian or Chinese version of those two companies. And I'd say all, if not most of the travel brands that we feel comfortable uh, kind of booking on right now are owned by those three, uh, Priceline, Expedia, and and, uh, and C-Trip. When we're talking about the data of actually getting flight and hotel with brands, this is where the Sabres, the Amadeuses, and the travel ports come into play. And so each one of them is a bit unique, but they're, um, in essence, they're called the GDSs, uh, the global distribution systems. And that's really what the foundation of travel brands are baked into and, and kind of uh, created off of. And, you know, when, when you're going on to, let's say, Expedia, Price, basically any travel brand right now that you go on uh, is, is uh, run off of those GDS services. And the unfortunate truth is that these brands haven't changed or, or kind of iterated their product in over 20 years. And so for a, a travel startup like us, right, which is a few years old, uh, we have to kind of comply with a lot of the rules and regulations that they go through, um, both from a, a customer standpoint, as well as just being able to search data. And so, um, again, I can give a lot of cool and kind of funny stories of us kind of trying to enter into this space and, and being dealt with a little bit more uh, pushback than what we would have liked. Yeah, I would love to talk about that, actually, because I know one stat that you shared with me is um, that it took you guys, I think, eight or 10 months to be able to do your first API integration. And, you know, you were talking about you just shared some of the and obviously some of this is, you know, when you when you have travel, there's national security concerns. And so then you get into some interesting regulation that I think as consumers, you're maybe lightly aware of, but you clearly don't have kind of purview into. Talk a little bit about some of those stories and just, you know, how how long it took you to be able to get up and running with some basic integrations? Yeah, so each one of those integrations, so right now Allude is actually integrated with all three, Travelport, Amadeus, and Sabre. Uh, and each one of them on average took around eight to 10 months um, by themselves. And the issue actually becomes not because of the tech integration, but actually more of the rules and regulations from a business um, that you need to go through in order to be able to actually sell travel. So you kind of alluded to it, but for instance, like the no-fly list. Not many people are fully aware of this, but there's a lot of integrations um, when you're selling you know, flights specifically that you need to be held responsible so that you're not se selling it to someone that um, clearly shouldn't be flying. And so there's something called an AR 
ARC, which is uh, Airline Reporting Corporation. And this is basically, if you think about it like the IRS of travel, it's basically what they are. They act as this kind of middleman from a federal level to understand who's actually purchasing both uh, flight information. And then they started to dabble a little bit into hotels and and, uh, a little bit more into kind of like the experiences. But realistically, most of the regulation comes with flying um, and the flight uh, regulatory. And then the second piece is something called IATA. Um, and it's uh, basically like it's a tra- it's the travel agent. Um, I would call it like the travel agent commodity where in order to be able to purchase and, and sell flights and hotels, you need to be regulated by the IATA board. And um, again, a lot of individuals or a lot of companies don't make it past those first few steps because there's a lot of um, financial requirements that you need to hit. So like, for instance, uh, to go a little bit more into the specifics, it's like, you know, they look for anywhere between a couple hundred thousand to a few million dollars in your bank account or, you know, bonds basically to be able to issue you your number. Um, this is not something where you can just go on and just apply. And next thing you know, you're a travel agent, right? Like there's a lot of kind of hoops that you need to run through in order to be able to really establish yourself as a business entity in the travel space. Now, mind you, I'll give you the complete caveat, which is where I think a lot of the other early stage travel startups um, tend to be. You're able to become kind of an affiliate where you're selling Skyscanner or Orbits or Priceline's data through your website or something along those lines. Um, the good news is, is that those are lower barriers to enter and you don't need to have a lot of, you know, rules and restrictions to kind of, you know, get into that space. Um, but the, the con is that you really, you can't build and scale a business that way because the margins are very, like when I say low, like almost insignificant. Um, you, you know, you can do it more for just like being able to help you know, users, but not necessarily build and scale a business. So again, happy to unpack a lot of that. I know that that's a lot of data and information. No, no, no. It's, I mean, it's just fascinating. And I love the acronyms and, you know, things like airline reporting corporation sounds like some dystopian, <laughs> you know, kind of company you would hear about in a book. Same thing with just travel corp or Sabre or Amadeus. Um, I think Sabre was actually the company in, in, uh, in the office, which is kind of funny uh, that ends up acquiring them. I want to hear, you know, you alluded to it, this story of what it was like when you entered the space and some of the pushback you got as a startup. Talk a little bit about that, especially from your perspective. So a first few conversations that we had with these GDSs, right? They basically came to us and said, yeah, what you're about to enter into doesn't exist. You can't search open-endedly like this. Um, and what's funny, and it kind of gives me even goosebumps saying this now, is that that's the exact reason why we wanted to create what we were creating is because everything was completely not showing us the way that we wanted it to be kind of, you know, the results weren't showing up this way. And so uh, th- those early pushback actually gave us a little bit more motivation. And I think now looking back, like that was kind of the grit for us to say, well, yeah, exactly. You guys don't offer this, but we, and when I say we, I I give a lot of credit to my CTO and our full dev team. Um, but we wanted to create kind of this algorithm that took most of this information and repurposed it in a way where we can deliver it back to the user in a simple and kind of sleek format, which is, you know, what the Allude uh, experience is right now. But those first few, you know, moments of kind of entering into the space and um, getting that pushback was uh, was definitely a, a motivation for us, I think. 
Yeah. I mean, it, well, it's, it's hilarious because obviously as a startup, you know, I think one, to be successful, you need to do something that's markedly different strategically than what other people are doing. And so it's like, that's the very nature of why you got into the industry was to do it. It's also funny because I'm guessing this is probably what it's like. I've had a few other founders on the show that have had to integrate with legacy systems, especially in banking and, you know, just, um, hats off to developers and CTOs that have to work with those because that is an extremely painful trying exercise as well too, to try to deal with outdated technology using your new technology stack and try to make it all work and hold it together. And I will give uh, the GDSs and uh, some other businesses some credit. They are going in more, there's something called an NDC, which is basically their new way of doing uh, travel bookings, which is a little bit more automated and allows businesses to kind of tap into data a little bit more easily. So it doesn't take eight to 10 months. You're talking lead time, like three to four months in some cases. There's a company called Duffel out of uh, of Europe, which is doing this incredibly well from a flight aggregator point of view. But I think to your point, like a lot of these legacy models don't change. And, you know, if they do start to change, it's very minimal, um, but it still requires a lot of upfront work for for the consumer. And in our case, kind of the travel business um, to to make, you know, make our way and connect uh, to them. Yeah. I had a founder on recently who described it as like uh, the technology is very similar to Rome where there's a mix of very old and very new. And <laughs> it seems like that's probably a good description of how, how it feels at a lube. <laughs> Yeah. One of the things I want to talk about, you touched on it a few minutes ago was, uh, you know, when you think about other competitors in the space, you mentioned Skyscanner, you mentioned Kayak. It is fascinating to me. I guess I didn't really understand that they're really just search UIs that then, you know, pop you out using basically an affiliate link, you know, so to make a parallel, it's almost like people are familiar with Amazon affiliate links. You're on a site, uh, someone's blog, you click on the name of a book, it pops you out to Amazon. That's effectively exactly what Skyscanner and Kayak are doing. And in your case, you know, you're actually what's called a merchant of record. I want to talk for a second, just because I think it's interesting. Why was it so important to you to become a merchant of record? And what does that unlock in terms of the experience you can provide customers? It's just very different. Yeah, I absolutely love that question uh, because this was something that in the early days of Allude, this was the main reason why we wanted to start Allude was to become the merchant of record. And at the time, we didn't even really know what that meant. Um, but I think what we started to realize, especially as we built out you know, the system, was that we never wanted a user to feel like we were, you know, changing the price on them last minute, which almost every one of these travel sites, you, you kind of like have to question, where are these arbitrary prices coming from? Why is it changing from $412 to $600 in the matter of a second? And so we have been dealt that situation as a consumer years and years ago when we were, you know, booking travel for ourselves. And what we said to ourselves in the early days was, you know, we want the the customer experience to feel like um, what we showcase from point A is what you're going to get at point B, um, or you know, at the booking cycle. And so, basically, what that merchant of record allows us to do is a just not only you know sell travel, which is you know what I was getting at, which is like the ARC IATA kind of credentials, but allows us to take payment from the user and basically own the transaction. And so, there is some downfall to being the merchant of record. You're talking like customer 
customer support and assisting with any type of, you know, ancillary documents or any anything that happens basically post booking. But outside of like the pre and post booking uh, assistance, um, the merchant of record really gives us full functionality of being um, kind of where, where somebody comes to book their trip. Um, and again, it's different than like a kayak or a sky scanner that just pushes you someplace else in hopes of you transacting. Um, and so we're able to kind of really own the, um, the customer and, and really like learn more about them, which is a big reason why we created the onboarding experience and over time, hopefully learning more about each one of our unique customers. Yeah, no, totally. And I can see why that's so important because it seems like for you guys, clearly the play is you want to be the one that has a direct relationship with the customer, which means you need to build trust. To build trust, you need to be the merchant of record. You can't be doing things like popping people out and giving them a poor experience or unable to help them after a purchase. I want to kind of switch tax and talk about that for a second because there's two things I think that are interesting. One, you know, for anyone that's listening, if you haven't yet, go to elude.co or go to the app store and download the elude app. And you'll find that it's just really beautifully designed. And obviously part of that I imagine is strategic because a big part's about building trust. I think design and trust are kind of interlinked. But another piece is just this idea that you want to build a brand. And so I want to talk for a second about how did you come up with the name Elude? And then how kind of walk us through how you guys prioritize design from day one and what that looks like in terms of investment and work that you guys had to put in that. I'll start with the Elude question and then I'll jump into the design. So Elude actually started uh, between myself and and Frankie, who's my co-founder. We basically came to the table and we were trying to come up with a handful of different ideas in terms of names and and phrases that that made sense. And ironically, I was still working uh, in my corporate world and kind of looking in like, you know, different dictionaries and kind of seeing what what best words uh, kind of resonated with us. Um, and I actually came across allude spelt differently, A-L-L-U-D-E, um, clicked into it and the definition didn't really spark anything for me. And then I looked down below and it said, you know, otherwise known as, or, you know, look into allude, E-L-U-D-E. And I clicked into it and the first uh, description of it was to evade and escape. And I was like, this is exactly what we're trying to sell. We want you to elude your lifestyle. We want you to go someplace else and do something. Um, And then I think over time, what we realized is that Yes, the word elude sometimes has kind of like this negative connotation to it when it comes to like, again, getting away and doing something different. But I think it it actually is the embodiment of what we're finding our users want to do, right? They're in their their nine to five or they're in their kind of work schedule and they know the times that they have off. They want to elude their current state and kind of go someplace else. And um, we've started to find that the word elude or like the verb elude actually allows people to think about travel as kind of this escape. Um, which a lot of us do in general. And then I'll kind of touch on the design aspect that you had mentioned. I think from the early stages of when we were creating our web beta um, to, to even now with our you know launched app store and, and, and things like that, what we wanted was simplicity. I think a lot of the times uh, travel brands tend to overcomplicate. Like, again, if you go on to Expedia, you have all these pop-up blocks, so you know, or like Priceline. <laughs> it's just, it's ridiculous. And like, it almost feels like you don't want to be there doing this. It's like you want something that's, that, that, that gets you, that's a little bit simple, that, you know, if you have a question, you can go and talk to somebody like you. We wanted to uh, to create that feeling with the app. Um, one, one other thing that and I can 
go a little bit more into the details on advisors as a whole. Um, but in the early days when we were creating and really creating the foundations behind Elude, both design, back end, front end, all, basically every angle of the business, we started to actually go out to advisors that knew their space very well. And so I'll give one example. One of our advisors is Tim Cope, um, who is one of, who is Steve Jobs' right hand man, you know, as they were basically creating the Apple store. And he's noted as the, the main designer behind the Apple store. And again, just for reference, like that's kind of what we wanted to showcase in the app is we wanted somebody to feel like, whoa, okay, they actually took their time um, and they're deliberate about the colors, about, you know, the, the different details around um, the app, the icons, those small things that really matter, um, even down to the photos. Now, mind you, I was getting at this before, but we have a curated list of around 150 to 200 cities. I mean, we source every single one of those photos um, just to make certain that in the app, it's not, we're not going to just show a generic general, like, you know, Brooklyn or New York kind of photo. We want you to pixelated. feel <laughs> pixelated. Exactly. And so like those, those minor details is the exact reason why people trust the brand or they don't, right? Is if, if we don't have any photos for any locations, for a travel brand, that's unacceptable. You're not going to get any bookings, basically, right? Like you, you're not going to get people to say, "Oh, wow, I'm going to go to Nashville." They want to see some photos. They want to see the hotel. Uh, those type of situations is exactly kind of what we were going after in the early days of building the foundations for the design. Um, and so, my point just being about Tim Cove is we've actually asked industry leaders um, that have helped kind of the foundations of other businesses uh, give their insight and really kind of have you know hour long conversations in those early days to figure out what colors we should we should use what fonts we should be you know portraying those type of things that feel a little bit more inviting yeah it's fascinating and i mean i love the depth with which you talked about that because it you know it is and as someone who spent a lot of my career in that design role obviously it's music you know to my ears but it also seems particularly important in travel you know and in just because i think so much of brand and design is around tapping into an emotion. And clearly with travel, that is it. At the end of the day, you are really selling this excitement, this sense of where I can go and what I can do. And so it makes a ton of sense. I, I want to ask one other question, which is, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me is, you know, to go back to the parallel of like, if, if I'm doing kayak, clearly for most people, they're thinking of what destinations do I know of? What destinations could I get to, but what destinations do I know of? And then they're working back into how would I do that with your model? I love, and again, it goes back to what I tried to share at the beginning. It's really inverting it and say, almost saying, what are your constraints? And then let's help you figure out the coolest place, the most amazing place that you can go to. And, you know, as I thought about like what that, what an experience that would create, I imagine a lot of people are very surprised once they get to the destinations that like, oh, wow, look at all these places. I didn't even, you know, this wouldn't have thought about it. I wouldn't think this was possible. Talk about that aha moment. And if you have any stories or any examples of places people go to through a lewd that they don't normally go, I think it'd be really interesting to hear that. So I absolutely love uh, any aha moment when it comes to people within the app. And I actually personally, like I like having people download it in front of me and kind of do a quick search and, and see these different places because most of the times it's a, oh my God, I had no idea I can get to Germany and, um, you know, let's say, uh, you know, Croatia for the same price. Um, and what 
personally a, a good story, I think, was um, one of our early users actually was trying to book a honeymoon for him and his wife. Um, and they basically were coming up with a whole bunch of domestic locations that they that they were trying to find. And I said, look, you know, check out our app, like tell us, you know, how much look you're looking to kind of spend um, and you'd be surprised. What's interesting is that the first uh, destination that showed up was Paris. And he was like, I didn't even think that this was something that I could afford. And of course, it's like one of the most romantic cities. Like, yes, we're going to book, you know, we're going to go through and, and book this. And it's those type of experiences that I think like, unless, you, again, you have the hours upon hours to kind of back your way into the flight in the hotel, like you're, you're not going to do that search. And I think like, Maybe if, if you and I were to have a conversation, we would come up with maybe five, maybe 10, max 15 or 20 cities that like we're both fairly comfortable of going. But like there's hundreds of cities out there. And I think people don't recognize the really the breadth of like where you could actually afford to get to. It might not be, let's say, Rome. It might be Pisa, for example. These are great, exa- you know, analogies or great uh, situations or like, you know, Lisbon instead of Barcelona, but it's still your up right and like those are places that people don't necessarily know to actually search right off the bat but when presented it kind of allows them to say whoa okay i, I you know i'm, I'm I actually going to do this exactly <laughs> what if i did go there and so um it's it's really unique but i think that kind of like wonder and that kind of like experience of that aha moment um is exactly what the elude app is there for yeah it's so cool well because i love you know i think such a cool part for me about you know, talking with founders like yourself, you know, looking at and really thinking and di- diving into new business models is thinking about the second and third order effects. And obviously what's amazing here is like, I want a world where people travel more internationally, where they're exposed to different cultures. This is a great way of doing that because I don't have to know about it, have read an article somewhere and, and gotten interested in a city. I could just go to, you know, elude and be able to type in some of my constraints and, and find out that actually, wow, I can go and visit this place which is really cool. I want to wrap up with just a couple of um, kind of questions about what the experience has been like for you building a lewd. And, and, you know, one of the questions I always like to ask is, you know, you've been at this now for multiple years. When you think back over the last couple of years, what are some of the hardest moments? And I imagine probably a lot of them are in those early days, <laughs> those eight to 10 months you were working on one of those first integrations. What are some of the hardest moments and what did you learn? What did you take away from some of those experiences? Yeah. So I think as, as a fellow founder to everybody, right? Like I feel like there's incredibly high highs and incredibly low lows. That's just like the nature of the world of, of entrepreneurship. And I think specifically in the travel space during COVID is a great like prime example. Like almost every travel brand closed down. Uh, and in our particular case, like luckily we were able to fundraise right beforehand and kind of like have the, have the runway to be able to iterate and, and kind of create the next version of Allude and, and launch it in a time that made the most sense, which I think even now with COVID uh, allows us a lot more opportunity given people are itching to get out and, and do something. But I think what I've learned most throughout those highs and lows is that you have to come back to your passion. Um, and so, you know, I left corporate world to go and experience kind of this like, you know, edge case of like, hey, can I make this business work? Um, and I think like going down to travel really is my, my DNA. That is what kind of runs me. I love going to different destinations and exploring different places. And I want to provide that for other people. And having that at its core, you know, there's going to be the incredible highs of the fundraising or landing a great advisor, you know, getting bookings and things like that. And there's going to be incredibly low lows of like, you know, not being able to integrate with a partner for eight or 10 months 
balance or having rules and restrictions kind of be at like the, the forefront of what you're dealing with um, or hires going bad or things like that. But um, at the end of the day, like, you know, I, I like to say I get to do what I love to do every single day. And it's ironic because I never found myself being an entrepreneur. Like, um, you know, I, I, I always say I like to stumble. I stumbled into entrepreneurship because it was like a passion of mine to create something, you know, from nothing. Um, but specifically in the travel space, it's like, that's where I live. That's where, you know, I know my co-founder lives uh, as well. It's like, this is what we want to be able to present to the world. And um, it's it's a really fun experience being able to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. In many ways, I think stumbling into it's probably the best way to go about it because, you know, as so one founder that I had on Delian from, from Varda, you know, so he's, uh, he's a founder at a company that's basically working on some of the first factories that are in outer space. And, uh, he's, he was an investor before that, and he had had an unsuccessful venture before, but he kind of described it as basically, you know, his decision to found Varda was finding something he was so excited about that he was willing to put the gun in his mouth and pull the trigger because he's like, that's basically at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly difficult what you're going to go and do on the, on the flip side of that coin, talk about some of the rewarding moments and, uh, you know, what that gives you, what you remind yourself and some of those highs. Yeah. So, I mean, in our particular case, like getting great PR is always a great aspect to, uh, to the business. And like, you know, for instance, more recently we were on, uh, Fox business. And then a few months later we were, or a few months earlier, we were on the New York times and those type of, yeah, those type of moments are definitely an outer body experience for me as the founder, because what we're talking about is actually more now the movement and the, the community behind Allude rather than the foundations of the elements behind the tech or the, you know, the front end or those type of things. And so um, it actually is a really great rewarding experience for me, knowing that we're building something for a much larger audience than let's say myself or, you know, my co-founders or our team, like people are actually searching, people are actually going through the motions and, and, um, you know, booking their trips. And um, that's a really rewarding experience. The other thing too, is I I will say, again, I kind of go back on the, um, what I was describing about the advisors, Um, having incredible advisors behind us and around the table for, big decisions on a monthly and, you know, bi-monthly basis. Like that's really incredibly rewarding as a founder because this is my first venture, right? This is my first time dabbling into creating a startup and I haven't done it before. And so hearing directly from individuals that have scaled businesses at like, you know, not like at a, you know, 50 to a hundred million, you're talking, we're talking like hundred million to, you know, billions of dollar businesses. Like uh, having their insights and just like their advice as to how we can start kind of positioning our brand better. Um, that's always rewarding and encouraging to, to just know that we're not yet there and that we're still building and kind of, again, motivating us to, to doing something a bit, uh, bit grander. Yeah. I mean, I love that you talked about that because I feel like advisors in general are kind of polarizing. You know, some people are a massive fan of having advisors. Others aren't. But, you know, my take is it's just all about the people you find. People are people. Some people are great. Some people aren't. Um, but I love that you that you talked about that because, yeah, I think, you know, clearly you're learning so much. And I've always thought, you know, it feels like, yes, you're here to build a business, but you're also here to just level up and continue to get better. And so you need to be learning from the best at every single stage. So one other just call out too that I want 
wanted to bring up specifically on the advisor piece, actually, is we have one of one of our investors and advisors was the former co-founder of Priceline and then also uh, one of the co-founders and CTO of Skyscanner. And I bring that up because, again, industry knowledge is not like I did not come from the travel space. I came from investment banking. Like I kind of came in with this first principles approach and having leaders that could help introduce us to individuals that would streamline our process literally made or broke our business. Um, I mean, like, you know, one introduction would have taken years in some cases to build that up. And so um, having those industry experts around the table has been incredibly valuable for us. Yeah, no, totally. Last question. What, you know, and this is just, I'm just going to ask it super wide open for other founders listening what generalizable advice would you have? So clearly there's, you know, kind of specific advice around building a lewd. You've talked a little bit about just always going back to your passion, especially when you're in one of those low moments. What else maybe would you share with someone listening who's building their own business that might be helpful to them? Yeah. So I I love this advice. Um, I don't know who gave this to me, but I absolutely love it is. um, So we're taught growing up, right? uh, That it's all who you know. Um, and I think as founders, we're, we're generally, we, we take that, you know, that saying pretty deliberate, like, right? Like it's, you have to know the right people and you have to be connected to the right people. But I always say it's a, the literally complete opposite and we need to rewire ourselves um, to think differently and that it's not, um, you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Um, and the reason that that's so important and the difference there and the nuance is that, I can go knock on a hundred doors, but unless those hundred people know who I am, they're probably not going to open them for me. And as a founder, this becomes even more incredibly valuable as you go out for fundraising and bringing out the right hires. And again, like building your business and it really becomes incredibly valuable to know those right people, but also have those open lines of communication. And so, you know, kind of building out your network early on is never a bad idea. What I would also say too, and again, as a fellow founder who has left the core corporate world start to, like if if somebody's in the corporate world trying to kind of dabble into building a business start small it doesn't need to be you know going in from um from you know literally giving your notice to like starting your business the next day, like start doing side projects, start understanding the market, start, you know, understanding those customers early. Um, It could be the first five customers. It doesn't need to be the first 5,000, right? Like um, start small and and start to kind of realize that um, what you do in those early stages are actually going to start to dictate a lot of what you start building for in the future. So um, I know for for me, like that's been incredibly valuable, but it's, uh, it's, it's always like a fun journey. I love that little turn of phrase. I'm probably going to steal that or use that, that it's about who knows you. Because I I think, you know, to your point as well, too, um, I think it speaks to the fact that, yeah, there's who you know, which is obviously great. But I think just being known as someone who's very high caliber, who's trustworthy, who's, you know, worthy of respect, who's done interesting things is really important. And it does open a lot of doors. And the thing that I found over time is that actually counts for, for more, because at the end of the day, I think a lot of it is earnestness and it's people's ability to trust you and it's their ability to see your passion. And, you know, that is something that takes a very long time to build. And so, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. And definitely please use it. <laughs> uh, for anyone listening and watching, you can learn more about Elude by visiting elude.co. You can also go to the app store and download the Elude app. Um, as, as we talked about, it's beautifully designed and it's a really amazing experience. And you can also follow Alex at AL underscore Elude on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining me, Alex. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find our episode guide and the full text transcript of this conversation at outlieracademy.com slash 106. That's 106. At outlieracademy.com, you can find all of our other founder interviews, profiling incredible companies like Eight Sleep, Common Stock, Varda Space Industries, Superhuman, Primal Kitchen, and 1-800-GOT-JUNK, among many, many others. In each episode, I sit down with the founder to deconstruct the ideas, frameworks, and strategies they use to build these incredible Incredible companies. You can also find the video version of all of our interviews on YouTube at youtube.com slash outlier academy. On our channel, you'll find all of our full-length interviews as well as our favorite short clips from every episode, including this one. So make sure to subscribe to get notified whenever we share new videos. And if you haven't already, follow us at Outlier Academy on Twitter and LinkedIn so you never miss a new episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you right here next week on Outlier Academy.